0: Welcome to the Unafraid Podcast on the OKC First Podcast feed. My name is Zach Lucero. I put a little more emphasis on feed, and I'm not sure why, but I am the youth and creative pastor here at OKC First. Sitting across from me, not on my couch, but on a swinging chair in a cabin in an undisclosed location, is my favorite dad, the chillest dad right now, John Middendorf.
1: Oh, I'm sorry for your dad, oh, uh, having sorry. you having said that. I'm, oh. I apologize to mr lucero uh that. it's
0: dr lucero thank you i very apologize much. to dr yeah, lucero yeah, for this yeah sorry jp lucero sorry, you are bud. just not as chill as john is at this very sorry, moment because bud. john is sitting in a green and blue and then a white wicker swinging chair right now in a tiny sunroom <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to do my best to describe where we're sitting right parts now. unknown yeah we don't know we're somewhere i don't know we are actually on staff retreat right now. It's the is it the first staff retreat in the John Middendorf era?
1: Oh well, no, it's the first of its kind. We've had some other kind of day-long things that we've done in town.
0: Overnight retreat. This is our first slumber
1: party. It is. It is. We have treated other events like the M events right. in Kansas City like like staff retreats, but but this is the first time we've ever said, you know what, just us and just for this reason. Yeah. And in so doing, we've kind of created our own little thin place here, and That's I know great. it's what we're going to talk about today.
0: Wow, you are just a, as you like, get older, you get better master. at
1: segways. You, you just are a do. master
0: at it. If you only do. we could see you ride a real segway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have before helmet and everything. Wow, dorky!
0: How was that? How oh, was that?
1: it was it it was top shelf dorkdom. What it was it was six and a half feet of me in a in a helmet right. on a segway, l- largely out of control. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, now that we have downtown (laughs) Kansas city, it was, it was a disaster. Oh no. Yeah.
0: Well, since we got that mental image in our heads, uh, let's talk about thin places. You mentioned that earlier. Um, yes, you did. You did. Well, this weird now we had cut, but now we're not cutting anymore.
1: So, okay. So I thought you went back to the Segway. No, Dork places. You know what? I feel like I should just leave this all in.
0: I feel like this needs to all stay in. Uh, (laughs) Just to pull everybody back behind the curtain we had as cut, it were and then I jumped back in without actually warning John so, right. so uh, he thought that we were still just I don't talking know where we're the, at in the,
1: the space-time continuum we're right gonna,
0: now. <laughs> we're gonna talk about thin places okay so John would you uh, talk about uh, the thin, uh, thin places
1: yeah so, uh, in Christian literature in the last several years, you see this terminology, thin places uh, crop up every now and again, and it's, it's, it's actually a pretty old concept. It, it describes the, uh, a time and a place, more a place than a time actually, when it seems for all intents and purposes like heaven and earth have overlapped, and there is but a very thin veil that would separate um, the earth from... Uh, the heavens and uh, it, it typically what you're what you're talking about is a a particularly meaningful time when you can't help but notice the thick presence of God uh, and enjoy that you are in one of those moments that you will long remember as a time when you you communed with God. You were in the same room, it feels like, or in the same spot where where God is, and and what we have done on staff retreat. Um, we have asked our staff members after a very long, difficult (laughs) summer, um, when everybody has worked so hard, uh, we've asked people to think back over the summer to try to come up with that thin place, just one thin place. Um, and these have been great conversations and we hope that they'll be encouraging to you, uh, both as you live your life, but also as you participate in this great place, OKC first and. And hopefully you get to see a little bit more, a little bit behind the curtain and a little bit more of your staff members, your pastors, as, uh, as we have all worked pretty hard this summer.
0: I'm sitting here with Britt Jack. Hi. Uh, Britt was on the podcast not too long ago, mm-hmm. um, and she is our college and community pastor and young clergy pastor mm-hmm. and um, pretty much the, one of the best Christians on staff pastor, Aww. so uh, one of my favorite people in the pretty world. I'm sure that's Lisa, but I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it, it probably is Lisa, but uh, we're all just sort of living up to her. That's it's a right. high bar to hit. That's right. Um, Britt, could you... we're asking everybody to talk about their thin place moments. Um, Mm. Do you, do you have one over this past summer or the year? Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about your thin place?
2: Yeah. So for people who maybe aren't as familiar with my life and my story at the moment, um, I've kind of had a low point in in the last couple of years. Seasons that have gotten progressively, um, darker and harder and I've been in therapy and spiritual direction and just having a pretty rough time believing in myself and that has affected my um, belief in God and my ministry and my calling and I've uh, kind of doubted everything to be honest um, over the course of the last two years and I can pinpoint that pretty exactly but I had a moment towards the end of May when I sat down for my quiet time and just really felt like God was present um, and we had a beautiful conversation and um, it was tear filled, I would say, and um, things just kind of fell into place in that moment. I really felt like I could see a light at the end of the tunnel, not necessarily that everything was perfect or had gotten better, but um a few weeks later, I would say just about a month into my sensation that there is hope, I sat down to another quiet time, and um, John had asked me to look through the scripture passages for June and July, and to ask myself if I might be willing to preach one. And I sort of laughed at him, actually, because I it's this. It's on the Psalms, um, and Psalms are not my favorite.
0: <laughs> it's well documented. <laughs>
2: yes. And um, I, I actually kind of gave him a dirty look when he asked me. <laughs> and um, he, he finally conceded and said, well, if, if none of them hit you, then you don't have to preach this series at all. Um, and that's, it's unusual for me to want to turn down an opportunity to preach because it only comes around a couple times a year here at OKC first. And so I usually jump at the chance. So I said, you know what? That's a good compromise. Why don't I read through each passage? And if something jumps out at me, then we'll, we'll go for it. And it took me about two weeks to sit down with the passages. And actually it was during a quiet time. I had just had a really good, um, several minutes, almost an hour actually of prayer and was in a good place in that in that moment and felt like, okay, I, I should actually read through these passages that John has asked me about preaching. And so I got out the lectionary and I thought, well, I can't preach the first one. Today's Monday. So obviously I'm not even going to look at the scripture passage for this Sunday. I'm going to skip it altogether and I'll start looking through the list with the the following Sunday. So 13 days out. And I read it, and I just wept. And I knew in that moment, God was asking me to tell the story of the last two years. Now that I was just barely on the other side, I mean, really just barely on the other side of this really dark season, felt like God was saying, it's time to talk to your people about what you've been through. And... It was such a difficult moment because I thought, oh no, God, no. I, I've only been on my way out of this hole for a few weeks. I, I don't know that I, I mean, I see the light at the end of the tunnel and I know there's hope, but I don't know if I can frame what that hope looks like yet. And um, I'm I'm not whole yet. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. Don't you want someone to preach who is ready, who is holy, who is everything that they need to be to stand in front of this, your people? And I just really felt deeply impressed. God just saying, no, I want you just as you are, just where you are. And I thought, okay, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And uh, I looked at the schedule and it was actually Jason's turn to preach that Sunday. Um, so I text Jason and I said, Hey, you know, no pressure. Cause at this point I still really don't want to do it. I said, no pressure. You know, I, I noticed you're on the schedule for next Sunday and um, you know, if you just didn't want to preach that particular passage, um, I would preach it and then you could preach a different one in the same series because John had asked us both. And Jason said, oh, I haven't even looked at it. Let me look at it. I'll get back to you. Um, and then 48 hours passed and we're at staff meeting <laughs> and I said, um, hey, just kind of wondering about next Sunday because I think, you know, I would preach that if you if you didn't want it um and he was like oh you know what i haven't even looked at it you just you know we'll we'll go ahead and you can preach it and then i'll preach something else in the rest of the series so i didn't look at it for another week um because i was just so terrified and i knew exactly what um god was asking me to say and so i just <laughs> i i have it, i have not waited so confidently for a sermon in my life because I just felt like I knew what story I was supposed to tell. and um, Sure enough, the day came, and I thought I could get through the sermon without tearing up, and obviously that did not work out. I, I probably preached 20 of the 25 minutes with my eyes full of tears, but just kind of bared my soul to our people and said, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I know that I've stayed here with you, and you've stayed here with me. And together, we have carried each other through this God-faith thing for the last couple years. And really, it was a story of my gratitude to them um, for giving me a safe space to vent, to be an imperfect pastor, to not have all the answers. I mean, I can't tell you how much it meant to me in those two years to know that my people were there for me and believed in me even when I didn't. And um, I was so nervous about what the response might be. You know, uh, as a pastor, it's easy to feel a pressure to be perfect and to have it all together and to have all the answers. And to feel like what your people want to see is the polished version of you every Sunday morning, especially from the pulpit. But actually, the response was overwhelmingly... Um, I don't want to say positive because it was mostly commiseration. Sure. Right. Um, <laughs> but the, the response was um, robust. And I got so many text messages in the next week and then even more as people listened to the podcast on the Internet of the, the sermon itself. And um, just so many people who said, wow, I feel less alone and I can stay if you can stay. If you can do this, I can do this, too. And, um, just felt so, uh, blessed to be given the space to preach that way. I think it's a scary way to, to preach and, um, our people really accepted it well and accepted me well and, um, heard that story and, you know, I had had actually, uh, I had taken three weeks off the end of December, beginning of January, because I was in such a dark place. I, I literally felt like I couldn't be in the building And, um, I came back that that third Sunday, um, thinking, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'm, I'm getting a little better. But then I walked into the sanctuary for service that morning and realized, um, no, it's this faith thing that I can't do. And, um, had a, a huge panic attack about 10 minutes into the service and kind of, you know, ran out of the building to try to catch my breath and, Um, Got so many great text messages from people who saw it happen and um, who were just there for me. And um, this sensation that we are there for each other was really what I was trying to communicate. The the survey is actually titled, We Will Hold the Christ Light for You. Because I just think it's the people of God that helped me uh, make it through that really rough Season And I really just felt God in and through that whole few weeks, you know, of preparation and then preaching and then sharing life with people afterwards um, together was just so rich and rewarding. Um, to deeply connect with people through my pain and so many people in our congregation who have had a tough time with faith, maybe not even right now, but in their past. Um, and to hear their stories and carry each other's burdens has been such a rich, rich experience for me and I'm I'm so grateful.
0: So I'm sitting here with uh, Tyler Stark. Uh, Tyler Stark is our foundry director. Yeah. Is that yeah. is that your title? Yeah. that's Foundry. That's I should enough. know this before I actually <laughs> get on the pod. I feel like I need to do a little more research on hey, you know, somebody okay. who works just like right across the building from no, me. No, I do see you consistently. That's true. Very consistently. But Tyler is uh, our newest staff member, and he has actually grown up in this church
3: um, uh, since you were, I think, a baby a baby right like, like newborn so i've been here for 23 years that's right can you guess my age zachary uh,
0: 23
3: there you go got there it there it is sweet
0: so tyler we're talking about thin places um from this summer or the year whatever but uh could you take us through your thin place that you
3: experienced this summer yeah great Uh, So let me start by setting up some context. Um, I work at a coffee shop up in the village on the weekends just because I really enjoy making coffee. I enjoy the people I get to meet and talk to. Um, It's a good space for me to just enjoy being who I am. And so a couple weekends ago, I think now it's been about three weeks, um, I was opening that morning. So I got there at about 6.30 in the morning and... I was a little late, so I was rushing a lot and the doors were unlocked because um there was an event that was leaving that morning and so I uh well, there was just a lot of people. There was a lot of people around and two of them happened to to wander into the door. One came in, it was just a young lady, I'd seen her a few times, she's really nice, and she comes in, she says, Hey, I uh just got here a little too early. Is it okay if I sit inside? And I was like, Yeah, that's fine, totally. Um, so then a second woman came in and she just looked like she had had a tough night. Uh, she didn't have any shoes on, her clothes were dirty, she smelled a little bad. Um, so I, I asked her if she needed anything and she said, no, I'm just going to sit here for a little bit. I said, okay, cool. So I continued opening, come seven o'clock, I walk over, oh, so, so, come, seven so come seven o'clock, I walk over and ask her if she wanted anything to order. She said, no, but can I ask a big favor of you? I said, yeah, sure. What's up? Like, if I can do it, I'll, I'll try. She said, can you call me a cab? So I started thinking to myself, well, theoretically, yes. Uh, I've never had to do that <laughs> <You> before.
0: 23 <laughs> year old has
3: never called a cab. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I can, I can call you a cab. So I asked her for some of her personal information so I can communicate that to the cab driver, her name, where she was headed. And then I walked to the back and I pulled out my uh, pocket computer and I looked for Google and Find Google, and then I Google uh, cab companies in Oklahoma City, and I clicked the first one. Called and got it all scheduled. She was gonna get picked up in about thirty minutes. So I go back out and I say, "Hey, it'll be about thirty minutes. Uh, is there anything I can get you uh, while you wait?" She said, "Yeah, like I'm really hungry. Can you can you get me some food?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I can make you some food." So I make her a breakfast sandwich. I get her some water, and I walk over, and she goes, "Yeah, I just had a, a really bad night." I said, Oh yeah, tell me about it. Like are you you okay? So, yeah, well, I moved here like two weeks ago from Florida and I'm just I'm not in my space and I'm living with my brother right now until I can find a place to live and get kinda on my feet. And he and I don't get along very well. And last night, like we both had too much to drink and we just got in this big fight and I stormed out and woke up in a field in the middle of the night and Uh, walked into this gas station, and the guy suggested that I call the police to help me get where I needed to go and figure things out. So I did, and then they come, and they talk to me for a little bit, and then they say I'm going to have like a $280 ticket for soliciting or for, um, can't remember exactly what the uh, violation was, and apparently she tore the ticket up in the police officer's face and walked off, so that's probably not the best, best way to handle that, but... So she uh, then continues to tell me that she's just, she's really tired and she has to go to her dad's. And her and her dad don't have the best relationship either. She tells me a little bit of those dynamics and says, but that's that's the only place I have. And so I'm like, man, I'm really sorry. Like that, that really sucks. If there's anything else I can do, just let me know because I had people I need to get orders from. So I walk away, I take some orders, make some drinks. And the woman who had come in first, I saw her kind of thinking. I could tell she was she was pondering something. And she looks down at the other woman's feet and notices that she doesn't have shoes. And then she looks at her feet. She looks out to her car and looks back at her and says, Bam, I, I kind of overheard what you were saying, and it sounds like you had a really rough night and that um, you're just all out of sorts with being in a new location. Um if I were to give you my shoes, would you, would you wear them? And the woman's like, what, what What do you mean? Give me your shoes. He's like, no, like if I, if I give you my shoes right now, will you wear them? She's like, no, I can't. And then she looks into her eyes and says, look, this is my space. I feel safe here. This is my home. My house is less than a mile from here. I come to this coffee shop all the time and and I know where I am, and I'm I'm just comfortable. Um, I don't need my shoes. You are not in your home. You're not even in the city you you know and you love. And if I can do anything to make your day a little more comfortable, to make the rest of this awful journey just a little bit better, I want to. And she takes off her shoes and she puts them down at the floor next to the woman. And then she looks into her eyes and she says, I just want you to know how much you are loved and how much you are valued. And I know you don't feel it now. And I know it's hard to to wrap your mind around that from a stranger, but you are so loved and you are so valued. And she starts kind of tearing up as she's telling this woman who she's never met, who she's only heard a five-minute conversation from, that she is just... She matters as a human. And then she walks out the door and says, I hope you have a great day. And goes out and gets in her car and leaves. And then the woman's just sitting there, kind of caught off guard because she has a stranger's shoes now on her feet. Um, and then her cab came and she left. And I was sitting there just in awe of the, the sacrifice. I mean, shoes are. Not cheap shoes. I mean, you may have a lot of pairs, but to actively take off yours and put them on another humans and then get teary-eyed and emotional as you're trying to tell someone that they matter. That was just such a huge moment for me to witness um, and just kind of soak it all in that there are still people that love so deeply Uh, The stranger, the person who doesn't look like them and the person who she probably wouldn't agree with on anything necessarily. But she knew she needed to communicate that that woman was loved and was valued. And that was just a huge thin place for me this last summer.
0: I'm sitting here with Avarilla Fleming, our administrative and young adult pastor. Hello.
4: Hello. Thanks for having me. Well,
0: it's good to have you on the pod. This is a long time. First time? Is this one of these things? like? First time. First time. Okay. Mm-hmm. First time on yeah. the pod. Um, and we're we're sitting here. You're sitting on the infamous swing. Um, yes.
4: Yeah, trying very hard not to swing back and forth.
0: It's okay. Uh, it's, it's all good. So if you hear the... Yeah. that is the swing it's my Um, nervous energy it's all good it's all good (laughs) avarilla we're talking about thin places um Mm -hmm. and so you you told me that you have something could you share with us uh, your thin place from this summer or even the past year
4: Yeah, absolutely. So My Thin Place um, actually happened recently, but I kind of want to give you a little bit of context before I get there because it's very important to um, my experience a few weeks ago. um, So I've been on staff now at OKC First for uh, over a year, been an intern for uh, many years, but now finally on staff. And um, before I was on staff, I... I had a, just a really hard time in the job I had before. Um, it was pretty miserable. Um, just not doing what I felt like God had called me to do and, and just worried about what my future looked like. And so when I finally got on staff last summer, I kind of went through this like beautiful honeymoon phase of... Well, now I have this job, I love it, I'm surrounded by people um, who I I just admire and look up to and really excited to do ministry with. And I was like, all my problems are solved. (laughs) And um, I quickly realized that um, there was a lot that I had to work through over this past year. And although this past year of being really my first full year of ministry um, has been wonderful and the mentorship and the love and the support that I've had, in my personal life, I've had some struggles and just trying to navigate those things in one area of my life where I just feel so overwhelmed and grateful. Then another area where I'm just really struggling emotionally and a lot of self-doubt and just kind of what is my place in this world. And, um, part of my job description is, uh, I do probably about 50 percent behind the scenes administrative work, worship folders, attendance, um, just kind of anything people need um, at the church. I'm kind of there. Then about um, 30 percent, I do some kind of like community outreach, benevolence support for our neighbors and that looks like um, our food pantry that we have every Friday and that also looks like we have what we call our Benevolence Fund and it's just a, um, a, a small fund that's just dedicated for those in our neighborhood that just may need a little bit of financial assistance with their utilities and rent. And so I do um, support like that as part of my job and then um, I also run a young adult group and then also I help facilitate um, and lead um, Oklahoma County Jail Tours with um, Reverend John Minnendorf. And so a lot of my job, like I said, is kind of behind the scenes, but then a lot of it's kind of like in the nitty-gritty with some of the most hopeless places, um, I feel. And so um, once a month, we take a tour of the county jail, and that's just um, a place that... Just feels really hopeless, and and although we 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 take I've been there nine times now, and each time it's just it's harder and harder to go, um, and to experience. It's been great to um, be a part of the community and, and talk with people in the community about the jail, but it's just it feels so hopeless sometimes. And um, although we have great nonprofits in the city and people who are doing wonderful things to try to combat our criminal um, our poor criminal justice system. Um, It's still really hard. And then um, all the times that I have to say no to people with our Benevolence Fund, um, I just can hear the desperation in their voice, and I just have to say no. And sometimes that looks like saying no to seven people in an hour. And although when I say no, I know that I'm saying yes to somebody else, it's just um, I, I take those things pretty hard. I'm learning how to... Balance that, um, but emotionally, it kind of wears on me, especially when it comes to like the end of the month and people are really in need, and I just can't do enough, or it feels like I just can't do enough. And so, this past year has just been wonderful time in ex- in, in ministry, but also just I just see a lot of the the extreme pain um, in our community with the different things that um, this church has empowered me to do, and. It has just felt very hopeless at times. And so I've been wrestling with that throughout this past year. And then with my young adult group, we talk a lot about really hard, complex social issues. And this summer we've been reading um, I'm Still Here by Austin Cheney Brown. Have you read it? Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, Austin is a um, black female activist and she writes this book um, basically to... I would say like predominantly white nonprofit or Christian organizations and um, that she has experienced kind of a memoir of her life and just a great reflection of um, her experience and how she has been treated. Um, but also just to call as like, this is not the way Christ and, and God would want um, for his creation to be treated and, and just calls us to be better. And it's a phenomenal book and we've learned so much. Um, But we're going through that this summer, and it's really hard. And then um, a few weeks ago, I went to a white privilege training where all day we were just talking about really hard issues, and I just felt heavy and overwhelmed by the jail tours and the benevolence and the food pantry and the book we're reading in our world today. And when I got home from my day-long training at the white privilege, that's when I got home and heard about the shooting um, in El Paso. Um, the one in Dayton hadn't happened yet, but I heard about the one in El Paso and I just felt so overwhelmed, um, with a sense of dread. And, um, I kind of just sat at home thinking, how am I going to talk about this tomorrow in my Sunday school class? And I just kind of prayed, um, the prayer of St. Francis, the, um, Lord make me an instrument of your peace where there's hatred. Let me sow love. Um, and even throughout this time when I felt hopeless, like I I feel like I've had the right words to say, but I haven't felt it. I felt hopeless and empty and um, just dry. And I just was talking about God a lot, but I wasn't feeling it. And I know we've all been there. Um, Brit shared her beautiful testimony in a sermon a few months ago. And I really related to that that feeling of self-doubt and, and, and emptiness and being in the desert and just... I can talk all day about God, but like I'm sharing with people, but I don't feel it myself. And I just feel hopeless. Um, I know I'm saying hopeless a lot, but that's kind of how I have felt. And so I come in that Sunday morning and we're still reading. I'm still here. And she's talking about, um, in that particular chapter, the history of America. And again, just i'm just feeling just overwhelmed and just this this incredible um sense of dread and like my chest hurt and my sunday school class just felt very quiet and 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 sad like we just seemed sad that day and i just prayed again the prayer of saint francis um not necessarily knowing if i felt anything but like maybe if i just repeat these words over and over again um I will start to believe them. And then um, we go to service and John gets up and does his call to worship. And I know I'm not alone in the impact that those words that he said made. And he talked about how, um, I'll try to paraphrase and not butcher this.
0: (laughs) It's all good.
4: (laughs) But uh, basically he talked about how we as Christians, like we cannot get into the habit of believing that shootings and mass shootings like Dayton and El Paso or something that should be normal. Um, We we cannot get into that rhythm. We have to learn how to be people of peace and people who believe in in a Christ who's the always slaughtered lamb and not um, someone who comes in with power and might, um, but sacrifice and love and peace. Um, and I just sat there and listened. I'm just feeling this overwhelming sense of dread, just from my past year and not being able to do enough, and I'm not enough, and self doubt. And am I even doing anything in the world? Um, am I making an impact at all? And not even just am I making an impact, but just feeling like very hopeless. Like no matter what I do, I I can't I can't help these these issues. Um, and i just i sat there and just listened to john speak and and just proclaim the good news of christ as someone who is the slaughtered lamb and who loves us and um and i just i sobbed i just started sobbing um right there in in um, the middle of the sanctuary and then we got up to sing and um And I just felt like the the church sang a little louder that day. And I I felt that I wasn't alone in the dread that I was feeling and the hopelessness that I was feeling. And I just began to sob even harder. And um, we just lamented. We lamented as a a, a church. And... um, Together and it's strange because you think like, oh, we're, we're sad and there's dread and, and feelings of hopelessness, but like because we were able to collectively lament and express that feeling of um hopelessness, there was so much healing for me in that in a in a body, a community that um I am so grateful to be a part of. And I would talk all the time, like this is a great church, and we love this church, and um I am the pastor today because of this church and I, and I just hope to grow even further with the mentorship and and the love of the church. And, and I just felt, I just felt, I like finally felt something and it was just like, God, was just saying like the way you are feeling, I have felt too. And I'm here and my heart breaks for my world too. And, um, I did the impact that lamenting can do together, um, and I just I, I felt hope again. Um, and then John's sermon, his whole sermon, talked about how we can, we cannot do it alone, and if we think that we can, like we 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 are not going to be great pastors, and yeah. we can't pick ourselves up by the bootstraps alone. Like, and I think I'd been trying to do it alone, and. That feeling of dread just somewhat lifted, and and although I, I am still sad for our world and the shootings, that is right. That doesn't go away. That has not gone away, but I I I just had hope again, I guess, and and I think the the clarity that um, I'm not alone, even in my dread, um, can kind of help get me through those days when it's really hard, and. Um, and I just want to be a person of peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And that I think we talked about it here on retreat that we're going to continue to pray that. And um, what does that look like for us in our world? So that is my thin place. So.
0: So I'm sitting here with Aaron Bullerjack, uh, you guys actually just heard him not not too long ago. Sorry. Yeah, I know. We brought him back um, and he is our, if you don't remember, he is our executive pastor and also the pastor of broken things is, is, is what he likes to refer to himself as. The building has not caught on fire, nothing has caught on fire since the last pod. Yeah, not that I know of. No, 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 definitely not. And so Aaron, we are sitting here, staff retreat, we're asking everyone the same question, Um, thin places where, where have you experienced, uh, heaven meeting earth, um, whether this past summer or even in the past year?
5: So the short answer is at the interfaith prayer vigil at the Islamic society of greater Oklahoma city in March of this year, um, a day or two after the Christchurch mosque shootings when it was such a beautiful thing to be in the room with our ecumenical sisters and brothers and our interfaith sisters and brothers, but also with six or eight students who are a part of the youth group that my wife, Britt, pastors at OKC First and has invested in for the last three or four years of their lives and her life and who were largely students and graduates of Southern Nazarene University where we have as a couple and as a church staff have invested years and years of our lives. It was beautiful to be in a place of mourning and lament and of witness but to know for sure that's where we were called to be, and for our people to know for sure that that's where they were called to be. And for our sisters and brothers of the Muslim faith in Oklahoma City to not be surprised that we were there, but to welcome us and to make space for us and to be so gracious and tender to share their sacred spaces with us and their times of mourning with us. And it was such a special time and a horrible time and a heartbreaking time and a harrowing time, but also a time to see the kingdom of God at work in the lives of the women and the men around me as we came together in one spot to say that regardless of our country of origin regardless of our primary language regardless of our faith tradition we are people who believe that violence does not have the last word and that death is not the end and that at the end of all of this love has won and is winning and will win And that in the midst of grief and what feels an awful lot like despair, there is hope and there is comfort in community. And that's what it means to love each other across gender and across language and across faith tradition, that we are the people of God in Oklahoma city and we will love the people of Oklahoma city and that was a thin place for me this year.
0: As I sit on this bus and reflect on the past six times in Toronto, I'm overwhelmed by the journey, the faces, the stories... The ways in which god was indeed with us every step of the way and as i walked down dundas street my small group of students and i came upon a small cutout between the buildings where we met a man named stephen he was leaning up against the brick wall and periodically would break out a broom and sweep the ground in front of us wiping away cigarette butts bottle caps and pieces of trash that had built up in the space stephen is the type of guy that oozes with cool way cooler than any of us put together we came bearing brown paper bags filled with sandwiches snacks and bottles of water yes looking to feed hungry people but very importantly utilizing the sandwich as a conduit towards connection and conversation our conversation with steven began easier than most others he was wearing a toronto raptors championship flat bill hat We talked about Kawhi Leonard and the incredible championship run. We talked about how absolutely insane the championship parade was. I asked him what he thought would happen now, as many of the Raptors key players are on expiring contracts and could potentially be heading towards a rebuild sooner rather than later, as we're experiencing in Oklahoma City. He talked about how a proper rebuild can make a team stronger than they ever thought they could be. And as we were talking, A woman walked up, and he wrapped his arm around her and told us how he had known her for 30 years. How she had immigrated from Egypt. How she had gotten into a car wreck as a young girl. So, Stephen cared for her. He said he knew that God wanted him to be responsible for her life. He said that he believes that God wanted Stephen to help with her rebuild. My heart began to stir. We moved on. But as we finished up our sandwich run and were headed home we passed by the same spot and found steven in that same spot sitting on the ground listening to music we reunited with our friend and picked up right where we had left off earlier in the evening he talked about his favorite music and how he dj's on the side by the way his dj name is dj love star when talking about music that speaks to him he began to talk about his father who had passed away many years ago. He has no pictures of him, but when he listens to this particular song, he can clearly see his dad's face. He always wants to remember that face, just like any child would. Leading to that moment, something stirred within me. You see, I, I've i been on six years worth of Toronto trips, where I was forced to exist outside my comfort zone, which talking to complete strangers was definitely far outside the zone it's just not what I'm good at I prefer to stay behind the lens of a camera and capture memories for other people who are good at that stuff that being said these sandwich runs are not a place for cameras and it usually seems pretty disingenuous to take pictures of people who are just sitting on the sidewalk because it's not a zoo There was something in that moment talking about remembering i began to think about the eucharist before we left on the sandwich run our coordinator patricia made the connection between giving a man or a woman who is homeless a sandwich to us serving the body and the blood to them in communion as a way of providing god's hospitality to those who desperately need grace eucharist helps me remember that the outpouring of love for the sake of connection and grace is who we are called to be as Christ followers. So as Stephen talked about remembering, I had a moment of audacity when I said, Hey man, I want to remember you. Do you mind if I take a picture of you with my phone? He nodded. Yes. His eyes began to fill with tears as I took the picture and I immediately felt terrible afraid that I had offended him or made him feel like a spectacle. It was then like our hearts became connected because he looked at me and he said, Don't worry, brother. These are tears of joy. Thank you for this. We want to be seen. We want to feel meaningful connection. We want to be remembered. If the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love others when we love God, and remember people like Stephen, we are loving and remembering Christ. And if we take the rebuilding of lives as seriously as we take communion, hope begins to take root, lives are restored, and the world changes. So I'm sitting here with Kaylee Vaughn, uh, fellow Enneagram Two, and Executive Director of uh, Our Neighborhood Empowered. How are you doing?
6: Good. How are you doing?
0: I'm great. Uh, I'm not sitting on the weird swingy chair. So oh, this is fun. I this know. Just fun. don't, you know, don't swing it too hard because oh, it okay. makes weird noises, and <laughs> we don't want people to hear that. So, but uh, Kaylee, Kaylee, how long have you been at one?
6: I this August. So in a couple weeks, it'll be seven years. Wow
0: seven years goodness gracious Mm -hmm. um and you you have gone from uh what where where did you come in at like what was your title when you came in
6: program director
0: program director and you've moved up to executive director which has obviously changed your role quite a bit yes um can you tell us about um just a little bit about um how one works um Mm -hmm. since you've been there for seven years you, you you are intimately involved in and all that goes on can you tell us a little bit about sort of uh, how one works what why is it there um, mm-hmm. and uh, what what is the demographic that we're serving?
6: Yeah so we have been working in our neighborhood long before. I've been here um, and back around um, around the time that I came we had just started bringing kids um, from the neighborhood so a lot of our neighborhood that we work in is low income. Um, Government subsidized housing. Um, We go into apartments every Sunday, and that was how we started the relationship and how we came to know that they needed a place after school and during the summer. Um, But when I started, um, it was the first time we were bringing them to the church after school. So we started out with um, just a couple of kids coming. Um, Every once in a while, there'd be no kids, and it just felt so hard um <laughs> to just say like what are we doing? Um, is this even a need? Um, but we stayed the course, had encouragement from others who came before me. Um and now, uh so this I misspoke I've been here six years, but this is going on my seventh school year. S- um, seven school years later we are having waiting lists and turning kids away. And um it's something that we wish we could take all of the kids all of the need, but it's, um, definitely something that we are, uh, having to get a waiting list on. Yeah.
0: Um, so we're talking about thin places and, um, you, you, we've been talking for the past few minutes just about some of your thin places from the past year and you, you had one in particular that you wanted to share.
6: Yeah, I, um, again, as executive director, I'm not with the kids every day like I used to be. Um, and that is something that is new for me and I'm just trying to figure it out. So I'm not able to see the growth like I was before. Um, I'm just getting snapshots of the kids throughout the summer, throughout the school year. Um, but this, um, story in particular, um, we have a student who, um, just came with us the past within the past year, and I always felt like they are who we exist for. Um, but there was never any um, truth to that. There was never any, um, I never felt like, we just kept meeting challenge after challenge with this student, and um, it felt like we. this is who we we're set up for, the um, outcast, the one who's struggling, but it never felt as if we were reaching them Um, and if we were making a difference they were still um, very hard to work with they're challenging they um, were very rude and mean um, and it just felt like we're providing this place and nothing's changing we're not reaching this student Um, and on the very last day of of Kids Club Summertime um, with the foundry there and with all the coaches and all the people who love them. Um, This particular student got up and she danced. And it was amazing. And um, you could just see how nervous she was, but how um, she pushed through and um, performed. And um, when she got done, everyone hooped and hollered and cheered and I was sitting there in that moment and that's where heaven met earth and that small glimpse of cheering where I felt as if this is why we exist for students like this to be rooted for to have people behind them cheering Um, and it was finally a breakthrough and I know we'll have more challenging moments with um, her and with um, a lot of the students and with a lot of the Um, staff and people leading, but it was in that moment where I felt as if this is, this is the kingdom. This is where we are able to see how transformational love is lived out when you consistently show up day after day, hour after hour.
5: And it was beautiful
0: I'm sitting here with Mike Laughlin, who is our Cole Community Center Director and Neighborhood Pastor and pretty much just the wizard at all things Community Center-related things. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm not sure if I got those titles right. I I honestly don't uh, remember your titles off the top of my head in their exactness. All I know is that Mike and I, uh, when I first came on staff, we worked together pretty closely for about two years. You were the... The student ministry pastor and I came in as just like a young pup, uh just ready to be molded and uh and you were you were there for me and you walked with me and you've uh you've kind of made me who I am today. Um and so uh this is my opportunity on a podcast to tell you thank you for that. Um Mike, we're talking today about thin places and uh we've asked all of the staff to think about the thin places that they might have experienced over the past summer or even the past year. So uh why don't you just
7: take it away with um what do you got for us today? Well thank you, Zach. It's um uh it's a honor to be here and to be a part of the podcast. Uh and it was and it always is a great uh time that I get to spend with you and um learn and understand not only uh about youth ministry but as you said, my role has changed. Um, as a youth pastor for 28 years, now the last couple of years have been in um, specifically a community or neighborhood pastoring, as well as directing our Cole Community Center, which is um, specifically uh, a space and a and a building that was that was created to be used not as a church facility but as a neighborhood facility so um, i get to um, direct that and manage that so the pastoral role that most people would say is traditional um, where you you have a congregation of people that is specific to your role like a youth pastor or children's pastor or something of that nature is a little bit different in my situation, whereas the majority of the people I pastor don't even come to our church. <laughs> um, they're neighborhood people. I mean, so I, I pastor a group of people that are um, residents of our neighborhood versus members of a congregation. Um, so, So a lot of my time not only is spent with those that... Um, group of people. A lot of my time is also spent in um, uh, just managing a facility. So there, we we are a, a place of hospitality, as well as a place of um, reasonable price, so people in our neighborhood can actually afford to do things um, in our facility that that would not uh, they otherwise couldn't do it. So. Um, it helps us keep a lot of things moving when we can do that. So, my pastoral role in thinking about thin places um, in my life lately, or at least you know, in the last um, couple of years that I've been a part of the Cole Center as its director and neighborhood pastor, um, is is sometimes hard to find. I mean, I've I've I feel like I have. Um, I feel like I've been present in our neighborhood and if I'm talking about thin places and I'm talking if I'm if I'm thinking and talking about the areas in which I see the heaven come down to earth, right? And and I I see that this heaven breaks out into something in our neighborhood or breaks out into something that looks more like the kingdom than it what than what it did before. Um those those sometimes are, are harder to find in just the everyday activity of what I do. Um, shuffle paper, answer emails, um, give tours of our facility. Sometimes it's hard to find those places. But at the same time, I think when you asked me to talk about this, it was trying to find that big moment, you know, everybody wants to tell the story of the big moment that, that they saw heaven break through. They saw, they saw the, the kingdom come to real life, right? To flesh and blood on this earth. And and they can talk about that thin place where earth and, and humanity meets heaven, right? It meets the kingdom, and and to be honest with you, that's just not the case in my in my life and in my ministry. Um, I think there are times I just I I look over them, you know, because we're looking for that big event. Um, but I think I have to be okay with those very small steps of where kingdom breaks through. And and an example that the example I can think of right off the top of my head actually is, not off the top of my head, but um, one of the small victories, or victories is not the right word, one of the small, thin places that I've seen and I think will continue to see heaven kind of break through in the lives of people is this Sunday. We are going to be giving away three scholarships to three students who live in our neighborhood for their higher education. And as I think of those three students, I think of the journey that we've taken over the last five years with my involvement in the neighborhood, even as youth pastor, and um, with their families, even. And I... I, I think I can look back and I can say there have been small, thin places. It They weren't the big events. They weren't the, oh man, we really saw heaven fall today. And it met earth with this great aroma and, and sp- um, not spectacle, but this great, evidence that you see, um, I think I can celebrate the fact that um, we are seeing a change in a young man like Darion, who is not only an employee at the coal Center, not only lives in our neighborhood, not only started in the coal Center when he was just a freshman in high school, but this Sunday, we'll be able to celebrate that 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 he'll receive a scholarship for going to college, which would be the first um, college student in his family. He'll be a first-generation college student. And in so doing, maybe heaven will break into this young man's life. And maybe heaven is breaking into this young man's life daily that we get to interact with each other and that he changes the trajectory of a a life that has grown up in in what most people would say, poverty or very low income. And, and we see heaven breaking the cycle of a family that has struggled um, probably for all of his known life. Or for Elisha who finished high school living in a youth shelter and is seeking to have higher education, maybe those little moments where we just pass them off as, as how oh, good things are happening or, yeah, that was a good conversation. Maybe those were the moments that we or the moments that I've been involved where heaven has really come down and that thin place has happened. So it's not been um it's not been the huge event. It's not been the breakthrough of somebody or the or the creation of something massive. It's been the small steps where heaven has just continued to walk alongside these young men and walk alongside our neighborhood, walk alongside the people I come in contact with as I Rent a venue for a birthday party or or a graduation or a baby shower or something of that nature. And I meet a new friend from our neighborhood. And I'm able to continue that relationship and possibly pastor that family in ways that aren't traditional. Like I said, they don't come to our church, um, but they come to our facility. Um, so... <clears throat> If I'm truly thinking about thin places in my life, um, I would have to say that um, we ought to be careful to not um, just pass over the very, very small and very, very thin places in our everyday lives where we see heaven break into humanity. And maybe not change a person or a situation or our world, but maybe begin the process of change in a person's life, in our world, in, in our neighborhood. So, um, when you asked me about thin places, it was very, very difficult. But just in the process of of talking with you a little bit off off. Um, microphone I was going to say off camera but that's not right close um, yeah <laughs> off off microphone is just maybe realizing and recognizing those just very very small thin places that sometimes we just call something else because they're not you know these huge events that happen so anyway that's kind of my story and I think that's uh, where I see the thin places in my life the
5: most.
0: So I'm sitting here with Lisa Sanders, our children's pastor here at OKC First. Hi Lisa. Welcome Hi. to the pod. How are you, Zach? I'm great. I'm Good. great. We're we're sitting in this tiny weird room in your mm-hmm. own swing and mm-hmm. um we're on staff retreat. But uh Lisa is I think I think your official title is the best christian on staff is that correct oh
8: goodness (laughs) Mm, i think that's i've heard that said yes but i don't know what to think about that so
0: she she teaches us every day um Mm. how to be in touch with with god on a on a more um on a more feeling level on a more Mm. um in your gut level Mm. you you kind of teach me how to be um to feel god rather Mm. than um necessarily uh not always know how to articulate it but Mm -hmm. um because because i because we're we're similar in that fact i Mm -hmm. I, i'm more of a gut guy Mm -hmm. than anything um today we're we're talking about thin places and um i think before we kind of i think part of your thin place uh if i understand it correctly we we need to talk a little bit about um aside from children's department duties um and I guess it's all sort of intertwined and intermixed mm-hmm. uh, with each other is um, you're involved with something called safe families. Mm-hmm. Um, could you just explain to us what, what is safe families? What all does it entail? What, what is the purpose of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why are you involved with it?
8: Yeah. Um, safe families is an organization that, that um, is there to help support parents um, while they're in difficult situations where their kids can be cared for in a safe home while they get help or get resources or whatever they need to get back um, on their feet and able to care for their kids. And so Safe Families um, is looking for families that would um, be willing to help in those situations. Yeah,
0: it's sort of like a network of mm-hmm. families, right? There, mm-hmm. there's uh, for for one child. I've I've seen there's like three or four families sort of attached, and mm-hmm. who some somebody will pick up the child from somewhere, and the other one will pick it up from mm-hmm. another. Or, mm-hmm. And you know, hey, can you take care of so and so on this day? Things like that.
8: Yeah, there's a host family, oh, which which um, is the home that the child resides in. And then there is the support team, and the support team helps that host family with um, sometimes giving relief to them where they'll take care of the child for a while, especially if that host family has errands to run and they can't take that child with them um, or just needing child care. Um, Also, they help in ways like bringing food or trying to help get items that that child might need. It could be clothing or food, or if it's an infant... um, you know, baby things, you know, swings and, yeah, play pens, whatever a baby might
0: need. Yeah. yeah. So could you talk to us a little bit about um, your thin place for this past summer and really kind of the past year has mm-hmm. been a little bonkers for you, uh, yeah. a little out of the ordinary. Could you just yeah. take us through that? Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah. Um, so actually, my story begins with a meeting about Safe Families. This is brand new to our church, and we got several... Um, people together that were interested in what this would look like for our church to be involved in it. So we had a meeting on, I think it was like a Sunday night. And um, Avarilla actually was leading our meeting, which is our one of our staff people. And she basically kind of used me as an example in the meeting and said, like let's say Lisa ended up with a child in her home and became the host family, then she would need other families around her to become her support team and so, anyway, I just got used as an example, but I was beginning to understand what safe families look like by being in that meeting. Um, we had another lady there named Angela who's kind of in charge of safe families in our church, and she was able to kind of walk us through what that really would look like. But being the example was interesting because two days later, um, there was a young girl, she's um, 28, but I've been involved in her life since she was 18, so about 10 years. And she recently had a baby, and I went to the hospital um, to bring her a car seat because she didn't have a car seat to take the baby home in. And, um, and I said I would take her home that day from the hospital. So I arrived at the hospital with the baby seat and waited for about an hour. And um, they said they had to test the baby in the car seat because he was premature And um, that would take some time, so I thought, well, I need to go check. I've already been here an hour, and they still haven't come in. So I went out to check, and the nurse said, well, we'll be in there pretty soon. Um, We're getting close to being ready. And I said, okay. So I went back into the room. And then probably five minutes later, a child welfare lady and the nurse came into the room, and they proceeded to tell um, this lady that she was not going to be able to take her baby home because she had tested positive for meth. And so I was sitting there observing the scene where a mother is crying and the um, welfare lady is trying to console her. Um, But then she turned and she looked at me, and she said, would you be willing to take the baby? And she said, will you pass a background check? And I said, well, yeah, of course. And the mother agreed that um, I would be someone she would choose to take the baby. And so they background checked me. And then um, I'm sitting there in that moment thinking, wow, my life is about to change. I'm getting ready to take a baby home. And um, the meeting that we had had just a few days earlier was was happening to me. Um, so then I said, well, let me get up and call my husband to make sure that he's okay with us bringing a baby home. And so I got up and went out in the hallway, and I called my husband. And really at that time, I'm kind of praying, thinking, God, I don't know what you have in store for us, and I'm not really sure how my husband will respond, but I'm just praying that your will is done in this situation. And so I called him, and I told him. And his words back to me were, well, we will do what we need to do. And so in other words, that was yes, we will take the baby home and provide a safe home for him while his mother gets well. And so um, we, didn't, we didn't take him home that very day because they had to come to our house and background check all of our family and do a home inspection. Um, but we got ready the next day to go and get him. And immediately I started calling some people that I knew were extensions of our church family and let them know, hey, I'm in need right now of baby things. I have nothing. And it was just amazing to see how many people stepped forward and just said, well, I've got this, or I have, you know, I have a swing, or I have a stroller, or I have a high chair, or I have a um, diaper bag or clothes. And immediately, things just started pouring into our home to help us provide for this baby. And um, the journey's been much grander than I even imagined. And a lot of it, you don't know when you step into those situations, what it's going to be like, but you just want to be present and available, um, to how God wants to use you at that moment. And I feel like, um, now that we've been involved in it for eight months, um, we've seen blessing after blessing of just being able to be there to help provide a safe family for him, to watch him grow and develop and, Um, the mom is still on that journey trying to get clean. Um, I don't know where that will end up, but we're just a part of that journey with her. And we trust God in it for the baby and for the mom and where that will lead and what the outcome is going to be. But it's definitely changed, um, my family and being involved in giving of themselves to help someone else. It seems like that's what God calls us to, is to give up ourselves and to be there for others. And in the process of doing that, we are changed. We become more compassionate, loving people that see outside of ourselves. And I think it's just such a blessing to be a part of it. And you don't really know what that looks like. The journey is you take one step of faith at a time. And in starting to take those steps, you be- just begin to see this beautiful picture unfold. And um, I see my kids being changed by it. Um, just, And this little boy is t- touching our lives too. Um, we see how God is um, just at work in this happy little baby that laughs and smiles and is just enjoying life with us, and, um, and we're just being changed by that. So not only has it changed my own family, but the different people that have been involved in helping us with the baby, um, they have enjoyed being a part of this journey too, and now we have multiple families in our church that are safe homes for multiple kids. I think right now we have five different families hosting children in their homes and, um, and just the way it's even uniting them together, sharing this common experience of opening their home, home for other kids. Um, it's just been amazing to watch what God has done with it. And, um, it kind of started in our home, but now it's in five or six different people's homes in our church. And so I think that's been a blessing for many, many families and I hope it continues to
3: grow.
0: Well, it's me and you again. Yeah, man. Yeah. We're back. Um, honestly, in, in this process, it's, it's, you know, almost mi- it is midnight. I don't know. I've listened to a lot of thin places and uh, I don't know where this one's going to land in all the editing. It's so been good. They've been great them great um, but from like the listener's standpoint i don't know where they are at in the process so they're they, weeping they, they will weeping. be good they They've might be good in like 10 over minutes by now right they might be good in 10 minutes it might have happened 20 minutes ago i oh, don't know i got you okay. who's to know who's to know? i don't know anyways john can you take us through your thin place
1: yeah. for the summer or the year whatever there there were uh, several times this summer that I there was I feel like I was on the verge of a thin place but I think Africa has to be that thin place for me and in a broad sense it has been a a dream of mine and and Kelly's to go as a family on one of these trips and so to be able to take Taylor and Drew with us because of the generosity and the help given us by folks at OKC first they helped us to get all there that that was like a 2 week place, uh, but there was this one moment in particular that really sticks out to me, especially against the backdrop of of a lot of what we are suffering as a country here recently. So one afternoon after a long day of work, we were summoned to the little church that's up on the hill because a choir from a local church. Um, they're from Mapepe, which was probably 30 minutes away by bus. Um, it's a little village, probably still qualifies as the bush at some level, At, at some level, but the choir's phenomenal. And so they brought their CDs and um, came and they, they did a little impromptu concert for us for about 45 minutes, and it was phenomenal. Now, like I said, these folks are from... Uh, off the beaten path at Mapepe. So much so that um, one of the infants that they brought with them, and I'm guessing maybe six, seven months old, had never seen a white person. And the choir was busy singing, and there was really no one to take care of this particular roly-poly little (laughs) little six-month-old who was, and maybe a little bit older than that, because the baby was just mobile enough to to really be a danger. (laughs) And uh, so Kelly went and just scooped up this baby, and this baby, never having seen a white person up close before, was just mesmerized. And we have a picture of it. I mean, it had already been a pretty good day. And I'd, I'd, I'd watched my daughter and my son completely lose themselves in, in joy and in In singing and in game playing with with area kids, and it's just, I've I've always wanted to see what I saw that day. But in this particular moment, to see this baby uh, that Kelly was now holding face to face, to see this baby in utter awe, now not fear, that's important, this wasn't fear, but in utter awe, just reach out and so gently touch Kelly's face. Uh... What struck me was this baby was not first of all afraid. Um, this baby was first of all fascinated with the other, and was careful and gentle as a as a six or eight month old baby would be. And Kelly was moved by it too. She just, I think, she fell in love with that baby in that moment. But to me, against the backdrop of all of the the racial tension that we have had. Now, as I record this, we're only about a week and a couple of days removed from a shooting in El Paso that was obviously racially charged. and We are having very difficult conversations on a national scale about things like immigration, but also about racism. And and more locally, uh, I am and we are involved in an effort to try to bring in particular, black pastors and white pastors together called Breaking Bread Initiative to just to try to form friendships because we recognize that we're up against not just out-and-out racism, but also this sort of latent institutional bias that sometimes manifests as othering. It manifests as me, for one reason or another, being afraid of the other because the other doesn't look like me, doesn't doesn't think or act or vote like me, perhaps because the other doesn't like me. But it seems to all be based on fear. But in that moment of watching that little bitty baby uh, gently touch Kelly's face, the first white person that this baby had ever seen up close, it struck me that the fear part that we suffer with is taught. It's not not natural. I think there's a natural God-given curiosity about the other. It's the culture that teaches a baby to eventually fear the other. It's a culture that teaches an adult to fear the other and to fear the other in ways that eventually result in at least bias, if not racism, and and who knows what happens after that, hate, um, and maybe even violence. And so it it actually was a, a thin and hopeful moment for me to see that no, this isn't a part of the wiring, at least not for that kid. Uh, It's something that can be taught, and if it can be taught, it can be untaught. I mean, we can teach something different. We can teach something better. And so strangely enough, um, though this would have been well before the El Paso shootings, but well after we had decided that this was something that we wanted to spend ourselves on, and me in particular, I want to spend myself on this reconciliation issue it was helpful to me to see in that moment that what I'm up against is not nature, but nurture. And if it is nurture, then, then we could teach our way out of it and experience the other uh, without the wiring of fear and otherness. And, and that was a thin, hopeful, helpful place for me in that moment.
9: My thin places this summer have been surrounded in prayer. My name is Jason, and I'm the associate pastor here at OKC First. My hope for us as we move into the fall is to be a church that finds God in prayer and is found by God in prayer. It seems like every scripture I turned to, every book I was reading, all moved towards themes of prayer and forgiveness. And so at this retreat we've had together as our staff, when we've had a chance to sit down with Zach and John and tell these stories, I... The story that I want to tell is a story of prayer, and as we move forward into the fall with all these different congregations and all these different peoples who are becoming part of OKC First Church, it seemed like a theme at this retreat has been one of listening and prayer. And the prayer that has really stood out to us is the prayer of St. Francis, and so as a staff together into the fall, we're going to be giving ourselves to communally praying this prayer together. And I thought it might be fun for us to conclude this podcast in particular of Thin Places with this prayer. So would you pray along with me as we close? Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light where there is sadness, joy. Grant not so much that we seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.